Popka, Nemutamua, Mio Mio. My name is Paul Gonzalez from uh, San Jose Pioneer Nation. Uh, employee here at the Indian Health Council, working as the TIPWIC coordinator. And I'm here to uh, offer prayer today for, for healing, mind, body, and spirit. So, Creator, thank you for this day. That special prayer today, Grandfather, for healing for the people. But some people might be going through mental illness or kind of type of addictions or abuse, or anything like that. We ask for, for guidance and, and prayer and healing for these things. And say, that's your prayer for the folks that are going to be offering words to the people for the healing of all these things, Grandfather. So we ask that in a good way, oh, all our nation. Hi everyone, it's David, and before we get into the episode, I just wanted to say thank you for listening to What About Life from Indian Health Council. And I want to remind you that you can subscribe to this show via your podcast player. If you're on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Spotify, really any of the podcast players that are out there, they have a mechanism for you to subscribe to a show. Just hit the plus button or the follow button or whatever subscribe button is available within your podcast player and your podcast player will automatically let you know whenever we drop a new episode, which is usually Tuesday of every week of every month. Oh, and please leave us a review on your podcast player. Whether that's Apple or Google or Spotify, click a thumbs up or give us a five-star rating or whatever it is your particular podcast player does to show positivity. If you could show some positivity towards us, that'd be great. It helps in the algorithms and makes our show more available to more people. So you can help us with that. All right, let's get on with the episode. Thanks again. Welcome back to the What About Life podcast. I'm your host, David S. Dawson, Multimedia Coordinator at Indian Health Council. I'm joined once again by the PEI team of Jason Levine. Good morning. Welcome back. Good morning, Jason. Arturo Calvo. Hello, hello. George Pajas. Good morning. And Marissa Yepa. Hello, Marissa. Good morning. So um, this month we're going to be talking about uh, mental health statistics and resources, which I will not lie to you guys. Sounds like a really dry month of podcasting. Uh, but I know you guys, you're exciting and passionate about what you do. And I know we'll find a way to make this interesting for our listeners. Uh, who wants to introduce our guest? Cause we do have an extra guest today, George. I would like to introduce my friend who I met at my second tenure here at Indian Health in the health promotions department when we were actually, uh, actually it was health promotions, right? Yes. And uh, Pedro was someone that I seemed to turn to more and more regularly for uh, advice and research. And in this case, a lot of times for statistics, numbers and making sense of what everything meant. So uh, Pedro, who is now in the research and student development program here at Indian Health, is joining us today. He took the time, carved it out of his schedule. Much appreciated, Pedro. Thank you very much. 
Well, thank you and the rest of the PI team for having me today. Uh, it's wonderful to have you here, Pedro. Um, so who wants to explain what exactly it is, mental health statistics and resources, and why do we need to talk about it? I see George's hand again. George is always ready to jump forward and talk. Go ahead, George. Yeah, thank you. So <laughs> I felt the need to explain a lot of the statistics that come out in our community that are really, really overwhelming. Uh, but mostly, mostly we had to justify why we were constantly asking our community for surveys. We in the PEI program were at a point where every time we went somewhere, we had to hand a survey out. Mm -hmm. It was the uh, PEI survey, we called it, but it was from the county and it was what seemed really unnecessary, repetitive, especially when we're going to programs over and over. And the bottom line is this is what we needed to do to pay the bills. But in return, we were told that there's numbers that are supporting our funding. And when we get enough surveys back, they'll trend towards areas that are need that we have needs. And, and, and our community would basically do the surveys and wait for numbers. And, it was kind of like I got to the point where it was like I was like really waiting for these statistics comes back and I'm really curious. People were just so used to doing surveys. People were doing surveys out here before I was out here. So ever since I could uh, p uh, I hear people remember they were doing surveys. So um, now whether the numbers came back or not was was different. So we started seeing um, um, some of our PEI numbers back and they were really interesting things like. Um, um, a lot of people in our programs had disabilities. Um, if we could remember some of those other trends that we were seeing, we could share. But but um, it really kind of t told me that, hey, um, people that are coming to our programs really need some help. So it was reassuring. And then getting to know Pedro, Pedro on the strategies program was really inspiring because Pedro uh, not only did surveys, he did very extensive surveys with our youth, but he could also read the surveys, which obviously it seems like common sense to look at numbers and say, okay, this is what it is, but why is it going certain ways and why is it not in the trends and the areas and, and just really what the numbers mean. So um, I'm glad Pedro you're joining us because uh, you really, really uh, taught me a lot when it comes to that, that area. So that's, that's it in a nutshell. And a okay. lot of these surveys, we get the results four or five years. That was the time frame. Yeah. If we even saw the numbers, right. to, to be frank. But that, that was <clears throat> pre-COVID. So everything that was taken might, might even be delayed more. Right. So the average survey results could have been three to four years. Now I'm hopeful that they still remain on track. But the reality is it could be even a little bit longer. Yeah. Yeah, and then we the numbers that we get back, we get such such numbers as 25%. Well, what does 25% mean? And Pedro is able to break those numbers down as far as in age groups and ethnicities and stuff into that nature. So that's, uh, Pedro was a big help on, on actually breaking those numbers down. Okay. Well, it, it's interesting. So, you know, I think there's a, there's a little bit of, of background in the operations of IHC buried in what you guys just said. So the clinic utilizes a number of grants to run programs un under the IHC banner, right? So PEI is one of those. 
um, were awarded a grant after filing uh, an application for it and a proposal of why we need the money. And, and then part of what we have to do as an awardant of the grant is we have to run surveys to get more data to feed to the grant that we've won um, over the course of our uh, running it. And that helps the people who are putting those grants out determine where need is and what sort of programs need to go out. And that is something that takes time over many, many years to accomplish. So it's all kind of feeds each other. We get grants, we have to get data. The data helps determine whether we continue to get more grants as we go forward and how we apply those grants within our community as well. Correct? Yes. Okay. So the surveys are very important. I know people kind of get frustrated with surveys every time they come out. It's like, why do I got to do another survey? I did one last time I saw you guys. Well, just because you're at an IHC event doesn't mean it's the same program necessarily. And the questions on the survey may be a little bit different from pro from program to program because of the different programs that are being served in that survey, correct? Yes. Yeah. So it, it, it seems like you're giving a lot of data to IHC, but you're giving it to different programs underneath the IHC banner. Right. Yeah. Right. So, <laughs> um, Pedro, at research and student development, research obviously lends itself to the idea that statistics are important <laughs> to you guys. What do you guys do over there exactly? Well, great question. I think that's something that as an organization has been really um, in the making in terms of what is our role as a community health center when it comes to research in tribal communities. And this department was recently established in late 2020, really early 2021. And essentially what this department does is house these projects, these grants that are being given to the clinic to essentially being look at look for answers to questions that for the most part the community wants to know about. And a lot of that comes through research studies or types of evaluation and just so everyone knows, research and evaluation are separate in that sense. But with research, we really do want to at least look at things in a more scientific way with uh, do we have controls? Do we have what are our variables? What are we really, quote unquote, testing out here? Okay. And uh, <clears throat> a lot of times with our groups in the community, we would always find situations where people would share with us what, what we need to be doing or how we need to be doing things or where we need to be doing things. And and a lot of it was right. And, and, but most of the times it might come from one person, but sometimes it comes from a group. And what we found out is if enough people, um, share or give feedback, then, then that could actually create maybe some funding in, a, in other words. So a survey, uh, could tell the program exactly what direction to go in, because we're not going to just grab a whole sum of money and say, okay, we're going to do this now. It has to be it has to have some sort of like uh, reason, you know, or, or, or to inflict change. Yeah. Mm -hmm. but, but also with surveys, I mean, it's not a quick change, right? Like we do a survey today, tomorrow we're going to get that funding to help to build a streetlight, for example. Right. right? Yes. It, it's a process. It's a year process. There's also, uh, how could I say, uh, each survey has its own parameters to follow. 
Right. Uh, uh, I remember when I, uh, before I even met Art, when I first came out here, Art used to park up on the top of Pamacha. What the heck's that guy <laughs> doing up there? What's he doing up there? This guy, he's watching us. He's right. watching <laughs> us. But you were doing your car seat surveys, so, right? So that, that's an example <laughs> of a survey. Um, we everybody were, knows Art. We, we were counting. Um, everybody knows car safety issues, right? And, and uh, I always just say, man, we're not wearing our seatbelts. Okay. Well, let's prove it. So the way we proved it is it was a parameter that we had to follow. You know, it had to be at a stoplight or a stop sign where kids got off and parents picked it up. And honestly, what we did over years is count how many kids were buckled up, which it took a long process. You know, uh, how can you tell? How can you see? You know, the parameters they wanted us to use binoculars. Can you imagine us at a... <laughs> <laughs> That's some research. You know, but, but it, it, was, it was a tough process. It, it was, we did surveys before the stoplights got put up. And these surveys, the parameters, I mean, we're not the only, the only ones that do them. The county does them, you know, um, and we're comparing it to the rest of the population in California. And we weren't buckled up. Right. So that was a way of comparing and say, OK, we need this program. We need to establish more car seat technicians. We need to have more funding for car seat programs. We maybe need to look at uh, the streets. Do we need stoplights? Do we need more enforcement? Do we need more uh, road safety issues? And those all came started from those surveys. Was counting kids that are buckled up and parents that are buckled up. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, and that's interesting because... Because the work you do here and the data you collect here isn't yeah. just for use here. Yeah, no. It's, yeah. it's for use by the, by the community at large. It's yeah. for use by the county. You know, multiple different places can use the data that's collected here and, and implement change in a number of different ways, not just on the specific thing that, you know, was initially... Yes. You know, so it, it is, it. it goes into a, a, a big database and... You know, I know a lot of um, communities don't like or you're sharing our data, but we're also trying to make it safer, improvement, the stop sign, uh, street lights. That's how these, the funding comes about for all these programs. Well, when we, share, when we say sharing data, we're not talking about sharing personal information. No, no, no. So, right? so let me give you an example. Um, car seat data, the way it's shared is San Diego County has... 90, 90 plus percent compliance of kids and parents that are buckled up. No names, no, because if we're, if we're at a stoplight, we can't see who's, who they are, right? Even, even if we could, we wouldn't share it. Compared to Arizona, because I went to Arizona to compare it, they were in the low 80s percent compliance seatbelt use. So that's what I mean, sharing data. They're comparing the whole, what they get. And when, when a lot of these surveys, they're not named, right? Mm -hmm. No, no um, personal information is given. It's just counting <laughs> stick figures or yes, they buckled up, the driver was buckled up and the passenger wasn't, the child wasn't, right? That's how, I mean, when we share data, we enter it for our funders.
Indian Health Council has been empowering Native wellness for over 50 years. We continue to do so with services like our mobile pantry, where you can receive free and nutritious food for you and your family. Join us at our Rincon facility on the second Tuesday of every month or on the fourth Tuesday of every month at our Santa Isabel location between 10 and 11 a.m. Upon arriving, you'll receive a variety of pre-packaged dry goods and bulk produce. The mobile pantry is open to all families and community members. Both of our sites are following all COVID-19 health and safety guidelines as recommended by the CDC at this time. Upon arriving, please stay in your vehicle and wear a mask when coming to receive your food and practice safe social distancing. We look forward to seeing you at our mobile pantry, and we thank you for listening to this podcast. Indian Health Council, empowering Native wellness since 1970. Me, you. Hi, I am Dr. Dan Kalak, Chief Medical Officer at Indian Health Council and a member of the Association of American Indian Physicians and the Palma Band of Lusanyu Indians. In 1971, American Indian and Alaska Native Physicians launched AAIP to improve and protect the health of indigenous cultures. AAIP encourages all American Indians and Alaska Natives eligible for the COVID-19 vaccine to get vaccinated to preserve our tribal cultures for future generations. would you say is the biggest impact for IHC specifically in the collection of this information and how does it benefit the community at large that we're taking these surveys and we're sharing this data with the various multiple entities that we coordinate with Um, in the end long term how does that benefit IHC how does that benefit the community at large I can go ahead and answer that one Dave um And just like everyone kind of talked about right now, it's not just our department over there in research that's collecting data and data doesn't necessarily need to be used for research. I mean, a lot of the other programs here are using it for evaluation of the services that they're providing, which was things that like R and George were talking about. Um, In general, there are a lot of ways to get data and the most significant for the most part would be data that's local data that you can go out there into the community and get because it's directly with the people that you're working with. Um, And the importance of that really comes down to, again, you get a better snapshot of what's happening in your community. Uh, You can get information about their perceptions. What do they find helpful, depending on what type of surveys that you're administering. And that data can then be used, as everyone had mentioned, to apply for grants based on the overall results that you find on this. Um, And long term, when we're thinking about that is let's say we do get a grant in the future because we did collect data and this data showed hypothetically that we needed more services for diabetes prevention. Uh, Data that we collect early on says that we have higher rates of diabetes um, wherever way we decide to measure that. Uh, We use that early data, we apply for a grant, we get a grant uh, that allows us to do diabetes prevention and let's say five, 10 years down the line, 
uh, once we've been able to implement that, and again, we were able to get it thanks to those surveys that were collected, we can then go back out years later, use the same survey or maybe a modified version to get us measures that were similarly used in that early version. And we could see the differences between the initial implementation of whatever intervention it is and then uh, afterwards. So in the long run, it's important because it could show us or at least give us an understanding of whether there was some type of difference made after we received these grants and were able to provide these services. That's excellent. And I was actually talking about this with George yesterday, that the latest national diabetes numbers for the Native American population are showing a decline, which I think is fantastic. But it's taken 25 years of surveys and data collection and implementation of various programs to start seeing that change, right? But it takes time and, and, and the cooperation of the community along with the medical uh, community to get all these things, uh, all the information collected and then all the programs implemented and then the collection of new data to see if that stuff is actually taking hold and, and affecting the community in the way that you hope, right? Exactly. And then again, data comes in all shapes and forms. Like right now we're talking about data that's really looking at outcomes. Like was there a difference versus there's data like PI does a lot, which is looking at process in terms of like, how was this event specifically? Uh, what did you like about it? Did you get this out of it? And that's another different type of uh, well, that's data, but it's used in a different type of way. So again, mm -hmm. not only to see if there was a difference, but like, how can we make things better as well? Right. Well, there's a tendency on people if they're feeling well, not to go to like a regular doctor checkup and kind of skip annual visits to the, to the doctor. But that, that has an effect on the data, right? Because then we're not collecting data when people are feeling good. <laughs> as well. And we need to know that too, right? Exactly. And that in the a research scientific role, we call a limitation. Um, and there's always going to be limitations when it comes to doing types of studies. Uh, you, a lot of what we can do is generalizations and that comes down to whether we had enough people that answered the survey. And then there's different methods of calculating that, which I won't get into, but yes, it is usually the most people that you can get, the more representative data will be uh, about whatever population it is that you're trying to find out more from. Yeah. So a, lo a lot of the information that we start to see really, especially as, as uh, outreach workers, it, it really puts in perspective what we do, you know, and, and I remember working with the PIRE program after they gave their, uh, did their survey and they were starting to see trends that programs that, that had after school programs and that actually did prevention education had lower rates of teen underage drinking. So, um, you know, you start seeing that and it gives you a little inspiration, I guess, that, that things are working or it tells you that things aren't working, you know. Very true, George. I'm glad that you brought up that point. And again, in this this world, this field where you're using data, a lot of the times it's overlooked as to should we use results that we quote unquote call negative, uh, especially because for the most part, if we're applying to funds, you don't want to provide data that is telling you it didn't work. But by taking that out of the equation, you're also taking out this portion that could tell you like, okay, in the future, we shouldn't be doing that part. We're only, um, and again, there's 
a lot of things like that in the field. Yeah. Also, like you said, Dave, uh, individuals that don't feel necessarily sick or need to come to the doctors, we miss out on that data because they're not coming in or they feel great. And so there's probably, I would say more than 25% of those individuals that we could use that data and it would even give more information on the need that we need for that particular grant. And I feel this is a great podcast to explain this to, you know, our clients and the community because I feel, you know, when we go out there and do those surveys, we always kind of get like, oh man, I have to do this again. I just did one, you know, last event. Like, why do I have to do the same one again? So, you know, definitely um, explaining a lot of why we do these and that we do need these, you know, responses to help our continue our grants and our work that we do. Well, even just in the last couple of weeks alone, right, there were two weekend events that that we put on, uh, the Palma 5K Run and Gathering and the Natives Defeating Opioids Mm -hmm. program. Both of those were served by different grant programs. So Tippiwick was the Palma 5K and TOR uh, was the Natives Defeating Opioids. They have completely different mandates in terms of what data they need to collect to support the grant program that they are, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So within the span of a week, people who were at both events were asked to do surveys at both. And I could see how you're like, hey, man, I just filled a thing out last week. Why do you need this this week? Completely different program, completely different needs uh, within the, the context of that survey, right? So it's important if, you, if you're out and about and you're asked to fill a survey, you know, it's being asked for a specific reason that benefits multiple different programs within IHC. And so even though you did one a week ago, it doesn't mean it's the same survey <laughs> and certainly not necessarily being used for the same thing, right? There's also a lot that goes into it, Pedro. I mean, I don't, I don't hope I don't step on your toes, but mm-hmm. there's also a lot of information. Like if I read you the survey, we're going to get a different answer versus I give you the survey, right? So there's a lot that goes into the surveys. You know, it's not just. Right? Oh, well, I get you. Yes. Like there's a lot of ways to consider when we're administering surveys. Like, will people be more honest? Yes. If- we're doing it for them versus they're doing it on their own. So yes, there's a lot of things like that to take into consideration before you go out and start collecting them. The bottom line is we we use it to ultimately help the programs and grow the programs and grow. Like Dave, you gave a good example where, 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 where the clinic was 30 years ago, right? Yes. All these surveys, they're tough, but it is to better the community and better the programs that we're ultimately doing out, out in the community. Yeah, and some of them are so tough that you got to um, sometimes go door to door. You know, I think we have a tobacco grant that uh, the individual, Lisa, she she has to go to, to liquor stores and, you know, and ask them different things about uh, underage drinking and stuff into that nature. And that that can be very difficult for an individual to try to get that data. You know, especially if you're not from the area or you just got the job here or or something to that nature. It's like, well, I'm kind of afraid to go out to the community and go door to door, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's it's the difficulty, right? Like oftentimes if you're collecting data for a program that's 
designed to try and help a community, you're asking tough questions that people may be embarrassed about the actual answers to. They may be nervous about providing the actual answers to, especially when we're talking about drug abuse and, and alcoholism. Those are things that people are very sensitive to talk about. And when you're trying to collect data on that, that can be really complicated, really difficult. But without that data, then we can't figure out what programs could help those people, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and people who are in the same sort of situation. So it's important that we get that information, but it, it's, it's far more complicated than I think a lot of people just realize, you know, yep. it, 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 there's so much sensitivity in what we're asking sometimes. And, and yeah, if you're asking it verbally with somebody, you may get a completely different yeah. answer than if you provide them an anonymous way to provide that information, right? Or if you give them a $20 gift card. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, incentives that, always incentives help a lot. do help, yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and we have to be careful too because, you know, Incentives can be helpful, but they can also just encourage people to just fill stuff out. Yeah. Yes. Right. So there's got to be a, a balance, balance between all that, too, because the, you know, everybody talks about science and, and following the facts. we got to follow the facts. We need to go where the facts are, you know, but the facts are only as good as the reliability of the data that's fed into to that. Right. Yes. And it's not to say that the facts are incorrect in a particular stat, but they might not be the whole truth because we were incapable of collecting the whole truth because people held back or communities held back or, you know. Yeah. And if I may, Pedro, that's that's a lot of the issues or a lot of the problems that we're having with the Native American data, right? Especially with youth in our community is getting enough data to, to, to be able to read and, and to take it. Am I right? Yes. But I'd like to backtrack to what Dave had mentioned in terms of like, yeah, that, that is also a problem that you'll see when doing research or collecting data. But there are ways to try to minimize that, especially like after the fact, uh, Usually whoever's ever on the project will hopefully look at it, all these numbers that are given and see like, are there patterns where it's like obvious that someone was lying and things Statistical like that. Statistical inconsistencies yeah, exactly. within the data, So right? yes, and there's like other things that the statisticians can like use to figure out like, hmm, is this reliable or not? But going back to George's question, um, yeah, I think a big, I'll kind of go into what we'll probably be talking at table talks this um this coming month uh so last year i should say 2019 there is a national survey that looks at drug use and health and health in general um and overall it tries to look at a specific number of people within the nation but as American Indians, Alaska Natives, Native people really making 1% to 2% of the nation, it could be really hard to get enough people to answer that, to be able to make a generalization or be able to give an accurate enough uh, number that we're able to say like, oh, like most likely we are around this area. Uh, for example, like in 2019, we that survey had asked specifically about 
uh, youth and how th- if they had major a major depressive episode and if where they were severely impaired. And it was about one in 10 for 2019. But for 2020, as it has come out, like there wasn't enough youth who answered that. So a, a number couldn't be given that said, then it would be hard to see if there was a change or not between the years. So, yes, it's really important in that sense that um, take that into account. Like you have to weigh your options in terms of like in, in how am I contributing? Would it make a sense? Like what are the reasons why this is important? Like everyone, again, will have different reasons. Uh, but when we go out there in the community, it's something that we stress that that uh, the more people we have answer, the better the like the results that we can get are the more accurate they can be. Right. Well, I think that's actually a really good spot to end this episode. Um, It is vitally important that we collect accurate data and the community as a whole has to participate in that activity or we just don't get it, right? And that affects the programs that are available to everybody. It affects the ability of various medical facilities, not just IHC, but it affects the ability of these medical facilities to provide services that benefit the community long-term as well. So um, this has been actually a far more interesting podcast than I expected it to be (laughs) and very informative. And I think um, a a nice glimpse into the the backdrop of what what we do here. And Pedro, thank you so much for joining us thank you, uh, my on friend. this yes, one and, thank and you, providing Pedro. that insight. Because yeah. I think that insight's really and important. If I could, can I just say one last thing? Of course. When it comes to, again, data collection, as people, especially as people from close, a close-knit community, you have the right to know what's being done with this data. So don't ever be afraid to speak up and ask specific questions um, and also get compensated for it. Uh, again, your knowledge is valuable. Uh people can look into ways and see how you, how people can be uh, rewarded for their time and effort. And again, uh, you always have a stake in it and ask when you're unsure. So yeah, I'll leave it with that. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. Thank you guys. Thank you. Uh, we will be back again in a week for another episode of what about life, where we'll continue our discussion about mental health statistics and Resources, which is turning out to be far more interesting than I expected it to be. Thank you for taking the time, Pedro. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Indian Health Council's What About Life podcast is made possible by the Prevention and Early Intervention Program funded by the County of San Diego Mental Health Services Act. Indian Health Council's Behavioral Health Hotline can be reached Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. by calling 760-751-6004. That's 760-751-6004. If you're outside of Indian Health Council service area and are experiencing a mental health emergency in San Diego, call the San Diego Access and Crisis Line at 1-888-724-7240. That's the San Diego Access and Crisis Line at 1-888-724-7240. Or call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-273. 
1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-8255 for the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. Help is available. All you have to do is reach out for it. Indian Health Council, empowering Native wellness since 1970.